Welcome to Trading Card Therapy, episode number 20. It's been quite an eventful day in the hobby. So if you are not on social media or you do not um, use the internet, for example, at your day job, I can help you. I'm the host of Trading Card Therapy, the doctor, Leighton Sheldon, yours truly. Thanks for joining us today. Of course, if you're not able to join us live for our weekly episodes of Trading Card Therapy, you can, of course, catch the episodes and download them on your favorite platform like Apple, Spotify, and all that kind of good stuff. So, today's episode is called The Hobby is Real, Even If the Pokemon Case Isn't. That is the first order of business to discuss today. If you haven't heard, the $3.5 million Pokemon case has not only been, you know, if you will, deemed fake, it's been proven fake as it was opened live in the presence that I saw very briefly the video uh, of Steve Hart, Logan Paul, uh, Shine, and I believe a couple Pokemon folks from the, you know, uh, collectors or, or investors, dealers, etc. So wild, wild stuff as far as the Pokemon case that was bought and purchased by Logan Paul from another well-known collector that was bought from somewhere else, which we're going to talk about the, the little bit of the story that I know from, you know, consuming all of this story publicly. Uh, you know, Shop Mealy Pops was involved early on in terms of securing the case. And so, you know, we're going to talk about kind of the different angles from it today. It's bad news for the hobby. I feel bad for those involved, you know, whether it be Steve on the authentication side or uh, those involved in middling it and brokering it. And then, of course, you know, the end buyer at the moment, which was Logan Paul. You can say what you want. He's got a lot of money. Sure, no one likes to be duped. doesn't matter how much money you have. No one likes that feeling, right? We're all human beings. Don't forget that, no matter how much money you have. Where I wanted to start is, for full disclosure, Steve Hart, the owner uh, and authenticator uh, at Baseball Card Exchange, is not only someone I do a lot of business with, but he's a friend of mine. And I thought that it's important to, you know, disclose that. Not that I've been communicating with him about this, but um, I want to make sure that everyone understands, you know, where I'm coming from uh, as we talk today here on our 20th episode. First and foremost, I believe that Steve Hart did the best that he could under the circumstances with the knowledge base that he had, okay? You could always say he could have, should have done X, Y, or Z. How many of us have played a Little League game or watched a professional game or a college game and said, I can't believe that guy just did that. You got to understand, it's happening in the real moment of life. I don't believe Steve tried to dupe anyone. I believe that he could have done more research. However, it's also easy to play Monday morning quarterback and only blame Steve Hart and his authentication service. So clearly he made a mistake. I got news for you. If you've ever used PSA, SGC, Beckett, JSA, PSA, DNA, or frankly any other recognized third-party authentication grading or just authentication service, guess what? They've made a mistake. So there's that end of it. And I see some comments coming in. I agree with you. Uh, he absolutely made a mistake. He didn't do enough research. But to be honest, Daniel, I don't decide, nor do you, about what's unforgivable versus forgivable. Everyone decides that for themselves. So we don't get to decide that for you 
or for anyone else out there, you could decide if you'd like to, for example, use Steve Hart services any longer. I just want to talk about as it stands uh, in front of you, of course, try to learn from it and share with, uh, you know, the community as it stands, not trading card therapies community, but the hobby, man. That's why I started off the episode the way I did today. The hobby is absolutely real, even though the Pokemon case is not. We're going to talk more about that. Now let's move away from Steve Hart for a minute and realize that I'm sure Steve Hart not only has an attorney for his business, but when he's been doing the authentication process, you can't say factually that it is untampered with or it's authentic from 1962, meaning just a random pack. He's giving his opinion. And you're paying for him for his opinion, or at least that's my guess. Where I think some of the issue is also found in this transaction is common sense. And this is what I'm referring to. I don't know exactly what was uh, the case was purchased for initially, but generally, when things are too good to be true, they usually are. Not just in business, but in life. Occasionally you can get lucky, but it's usually against the norm. So when I heard a little bit about the story, I consumed the content about the case and the whole trip and, you know, buying it from eBay and getting it authenticated by Steve and offering it to Shine, who's a famous collector. I apologize. I don't know his full name or his handle on um, Instagram. Um, but, you know, he's a very well-known collector. He's got some great cards, at least that he shows publicly, you know, on IG. And so the reason why I'm talking about this part of the transaction is we here at Just Collect handle an incredible amount of inquiries that come in through our website, via email, via phone, every single day. And generally, I try to exercise caution that even if I get really excited about a collection or a deal or a lead, I try to keep at least one eye open. And so to me, the biggest... Most obvious problem with the transaction is that it was not sold in a way that would make someone feel comfortable. It was sold on eBay with lots of stories. It really wasn't known if the case was real. There was no provenance, something we often talk about at Just Collect, and about the collections that we buy, referring to, for example, where they've been for the last 90 years. So you know this Gaudi Ruth Maybe it wasn't trimmed. It's been in the same family for 90 years. Not to say that every Gowdy Ruth that's not been in the same family is trimmed. My point is, is you have to exercise a reasonable amount of caution when not just in this hobby, but in life. So if someone says to you at the store today that you're going to go to later on to pick up some groceries on the way home, hey, can I borrow $1,000 from you? I swear I'm going to bring it back to you in two seconds. Well, unless I knew that person or their pants were on fire, they were dying, I'm not going to give them that money. So I'm trying to talk about this transaction as far as there was a lot of red flags to begin with. So this has nothing to do with Steve Hart. I'm simply trying to help the hobby at large. So if you go to a card show and you see a Tito 6 Ty Cobb for $125, unless that guy's been sleeping since the 1970s and it's the same fucking price tag that he's had since then, you can probably bet that it's not real. Now, maybe one in a hundred, one in a thousand could be real. Those aren't very good odds. So make sure you're approaching this hobby, you're approaching life with both eyes wide open. And when you don't know, ask. 
And if something seems to be too good to be true, it likely is. And so it, of course, is a great feeling to buy something really cheap and sell it for a ton of money. However, the way that I've generally been able to make uh, a fair profit, right? I've been doing this for 20 something years is by treating people fairly and word of mouth and doing my research. That's not to say that I've never made a mistake. However, this transaction had all of the red flags from the start. And kudos to the Pokemon community for kind of bringing it to light as far as some of the possible issues. Um, I think that, you know, word of that somehow trickled down to Logan Paul and his team. It's made them seek out uh, Steve Hart and to do what they did in a public way. And so I, I commend them for that because lots of other folks might try to bury that kind of problems, especially when you're talking about multi-millions of dollars. So the fact that the case was sold on eBay and the shipping info was messed up to start with and there was never really any substantial provenance, it doesn't mean it was definitely fake. It doesn't mean it was, you know, definitely destined for failure. But those are really big red flags. So if today, for example, later on, you're going on to your local Facebook community or a friend of a friend in your town says, oh my God, I have a guy who's got a 1914 Baltimore News Babe Ruth. I can tell you how many I've been contacted with in the last 25 years. It's probably fake. You definitely, I'm sure, in your heart of hearts, want to believe it's real. Because who doesn't want a 1914 Baltimore News Babe Ruth? Or who doesn't want the holiest grail of all holy grails in Pokemon? So there's a lot of people out there that are saying it's, it's greed, it's greed, it's greed. I believe that the folks who were buying the case were trying to make money, like many of us do, whether it be we buy and sell cards or we're in a different line of work. All I'm trying to say is that the hobby is not only great and real, but this is something that should raise your self-awareness for transactions that you're going to find yourself involved in, whether it be today, the near future, or in many years from today. You can look back and say, you know, I remember this Pokemon case, or I remember Leighton talking on trading card therapy about things being too good to be true. It doesn't mean they don't check out. Sometimes they do. Point being, for example, you got a, a Tito 6 Ty Cobb, too good to be true? Maybe get it graded first. Try to work out a deal with the fella or the person selling it. There's lots of different ways to approach it. Um, and as far as research, you know, I can't speak for what Steve has on his plate, but I know what I have on my plate here, running Just Collect, running Vintage Breaks, uh, running Card Breaks, uh, trying to be a good dad to Crosby, trying to be a good husband and a good family man to my brother and my sisters, right? Like all that stuff, that takes fucking work, man. You know, and you don't do that stuff without real effort. So for those out there that are saying it was very easy, he should have just done more research. Think about a time that you've made even just the most trivial of mistakes. And of course, it'd be very easy to say, well, if I could have just paused like the movie The Matrix and rewound, I wouldn't have done that. Life doesn't work like that. So I was saying to the gang here at Vintage Breaks, live from our headquarters here uh, in Somerset, New Jersey, before we went live today, I saw the video of the, of the reveal 
I felt bad. I felt that emotion. I felt it here. I felt bad for Steve, for all those saying that Logan Paul is going to get three and a half million dollars of free publicity. Maybe he is. But he also wrote a three and a half million dollar check, and I think he wanted the item to be real. And so understand that whether it be guys like Logan Paul or Gary V or Steve Aoki, you may not like them. They may not be your cup of tea. But make no mistake, they are helping expand what we all knew as the hobby when we were growing up. We're all different ages, right? Some of us are teens. Some of us are nine. My, my son Crosby's seven. Steve Hart's in his 50s, right? you got people that are 90 that are still collecting, which I think is awesome. And we want more people collecting in the future, which is why I'm making today's episode about the hobby being real, even if the Pokemon case is fake. Because make no mistake about it, this will not be the last time that there's a ruse in the hobby, that there is fraud. So do yourself a favor, join your local Facebook community. So for example, at Vintage Breaks, we have a wonderful uh, community on Facebook called the Vintage Breaks Buy Sell Trade Group. Almost 2,000 people. Not everyone has necessarily met each other, but we all have kind of, you know, been dealing with each other, asking questions over the last several years. So if you see a Mickey Mantle 51 Bowman on your local Facebook group at a yard sale on Saturday for 350 bucks, well, if you know an authentic version of the mantle sells for five grand, it's possible it's real. More than likely, it's not. So do your research and learn from Steve's mistake. Learn from everyone who's involved in that transaction's mistake that I've had people do this. They'll text me an image of a 52 mantle. Leighton, it's on eBay, it's ungraded, it's 38,000. You know, what do you think? Because if it's real and I grade it, it's 75,000. Sure. And if it's not real, you know what it's worth, right? Let me tell you, zero. You don't want to feel like that. Forget about the money. Remember, we're all humans. We may operate at different speeds and wavelengths and political views and sexual views, right? And financial views about what's best for society. But make no mistake, at least that I know of, there's no second one of me out there. So, although they're, they're trying to, I've heard. They haven't negotiated enough in the contract yet. But all of that aside, lean on someone else. You don't always have to make a hobby score. Just make a fair purchase for your collection. Hit me up. You can email me, Leighton, at JustCollect.com. That's L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N at JustCollect.com. I'm on my email seven days a week. If I can help you, I most certainly will. So that is enough about the Pokemon case for today. I had to talk about something else that happened in, I guess, the last uh, 24 hours or so. Um, and then if we have time, I'm going to cover a third topic uh, as well. So apparently, there was a free break out there by a very well-known breaker. You can tell by my face I'm still astonished because even though it reflects poorly on them, I believe it actually, it reflects poorly on all breakers. It reflects poorly on the hobby. When you are going live and you are opening packs for people, putting aside the money, I started Vintage Breaks out of the love for opening up vintage packs that candidly, I generally cannot afford to buy and open. Maybe buy and hold, but definitely not buy and open. However, it's always been my dream to buy and be able to afford vintage packs 
of the most, you know, importance in the hobby. A 33 Gaudi, a 52 high number. And of course, a lot of this is fantasy and wishes that will never come true. However, that was the premise we started Vintage Breaks. It was not to become a millionaire. It was not to rule the world and be the best breaker in the world. I'm being honest, I was pursuing a passion. And I thought that the, if you will, breaking industry at large in cards needed a niche focusing on vintage. That's what I loved. I figured I'd take a shot. Never in my wildest dreams, when we open up things on camera, even when we get things so amazing, pulls, like a 1955 Bowman Mickey Mantle that we pulled live on stage in front of thousands of people at the National Sports Collectors Convention several years ago in Cleveland, Ohio. People have asked me this. Well, don't you want to keep it for yourself? Well, I mean, you know, I guess if I had all of the money in the world, sure, I would probably, you know, sip on champagne and drink fine wine with my wife, Julie. And, you know, I would open up packs of cards professionally. I just wouldn't share them with anyone. I'd keep them. I am astonished and very disappointed to hear that a fairly well-known breaker opened up what was supposed to be a free break to be given away. I don't know if it was to be given away to an individual or to a group of individuals, but I watched a very brief clip of it just a little bit ago because it was brought to my attention by someone else. And when you are opening a break that is either, and a break can be a pack, a box, you know, uh, a hit draft, right? All sorts of different things. But whatever it is, you're giving it to the community, whoever's purchased it from you. And to be fair, if it's a free break, which we've had plenty of free breaks we've given away here at vintagebreaks.com, when you give those away, you of course are hoping for the big hit, right? You got your fingers crossed for your community and you're hoping they, they get something that's, whether it be great or if you're really lucky, maybe it's life-changing. I was astonished and incredibly disappointed to learn that a very big card of Trevor Lawrence, a Kaboom Gold, was pulled during a live stream by a well-known breaker. And obviously, folks, you can figure out on your own who this is. You can just do all the searches. But there's, there's really no reason to, to get into the exact you know, name because you'll be able to figure it out. Someone told me what happened, and then someone else told me what happened, and then someone else texted me, and I said, I still don't believe it. I have to watch it for myself. And what I watched was horrendous. Horrendous for the, the people watching, horrendous for the person who won that or the people that won that and then was taken away from them and is being redistributed to whatever means they, you know, they believe is, is appropriate. All I can say is that, once again, I try not to make everything just about cards, but it's about life here, right? Like, I like to talk about things. I go to therapy once a week so I don't lose my marbles um, and my wife doesn't kill me, right? So... You want to try to treat people the way that you like to be treated. So imagine you're walking down the street, you're not paying attention, and someone takes that proverbial carpet, or imagine a shirt, and they pull it right out from underneath you, and you fall and you crack your head. That's what that looked like to me when there was a breaker effectively saying that a huge hit came out of a free break and because it was worth so much money that they would have to keep it, but they would give away other stuff. Very bad form. Bad form for that business. Bad form for those people as human beings. And at a macro level, not good for breaking. Because I don't know who watched them that will now no longer watch any breaks. 
because they can't believe that someone forget about would do that. How could you even be thinking that? Like if you're if you're the owner or if you're a breaker of a breaking company, you're rooting for your team. Your team are all of the customers that are participating with you, your community. And God willing, you get lucky and you give away a free break and there's a great hit in it. I mean, like that's that's fantastic. That's what we're all hoping for here. Not just at Vintage Breaks, but at Grand Slam and at Real Breaks and all the other wonderful breaking companies. I just don't want to see one instance from a very well-known breaker give the breaking community, the breaking industry, whatever you want to call us, a bad name. So, without dwelling on it further, rest assured that at Vintage Breaks, and I'm sure countless other breakers, including a few I just mentioned, that will not happen to you because the owners will not let that happen. And of course, it's not right. And you want people to talk well of you. You want people to be proud of your business. I want my employees and my team here that when they see me, they're excited not about, hey, what's the next thing we can do to screw someone over? Terrible way to conduct yourself, bad form. However, there's lots of good stuff in the hobby. Plenty of real, not just product, but there's plenty of real people. And there's plenty of people that are willing to help you or at least offer you their advice. Do what you can and make sure you look out for yourself and your friends. Last thing I wanted to cover today, we have just a couple minutes here on Trading Card Therapy, episode number 20. Next week, mom will be old enough to drink. Make sure you join us. Had my friend Johnny Hustle come in the other day with the intention of looking at a bunch of my vintage ungraded card inventory. He bought over 35,000 ungraded vintage cards. I wanted to talk briefly about my thought process, how we reached a deal, and then call it an episode for today. So one of the most difficult things as a collector, as a dealer, as an investor, is to sell something for less than it's worth. Not just in this hobby, by the way. If you have old China and they tell you it's a thousand bucks, and they're like, I'll give you 300, you're like, no, no, I want a thousand. Well, they're like, I have to sell it. Sure, I'll give you it to you for 950. Well, that's not enough, you know, room. So point being is that I'm looking at these cards. I already came to grips with, I'm not going to get the same amount or the amount that I would get if I sold them individually. And let me remind you, 35, over 35,000 cards. Think about this. How long would it take you, if you were listening to the right tunes, it was a beautiful day, you could even have a beer while, while doing this, just to touch and go through 35,000 cards, even by doing nothing else other than just doing that. It would take you quite some time. So there was many different groups that made up these 35,000 cards. We went group by group by group. He would say, I'll pay you 750 because I didn't have prices for this stuff. <laughs> Johnny's great. If I priced the stuff, I would have priced it triple and we never would have done business. So I was looking to move some inventory uh, for a few reasons. One, thinning the hoard. Always important to do as a collector, dealer, or investor. Two, we are going to be moving our offices. 
here at Vintage Breaks and Just Collect. Hopefully sooner rather than later. We'll keep everyone posted about that. And number three, it's always good to have extra money, right? Now the money I got from that, I'm already thinking about lots of wonderful things that I could buy. A um, couple things that are going to be up my son's alley as well. Uh, and so um, when I went through each group with Johnny and I had to let go and say, you know what, all right, a few of them I would negotiate and I would try to get a little bit more. A few of them I didn't sell. But all in all, in the end, before I said, if you will, okay, I looked and I tried to figure out how much I'd have to pay in eBay fees to sell these. How much I would have to pay in my own labor, meaning my own time, or if I found someone who was gracious enough to give me their time to go through this. And then, of course, you have to sell them and then the profits will start coming in, like I said, not all at once. That's how we were able to reach a deal. Because I recognized what Johnny was bringing to the equation, which was his expertise, his manpower, his patience. And I'm like, all of that, it makes sense why he should be able to make X amount of profit on the cards. So even though I'm a dealer, I was able to wholesale to another dealer who's going to make a fair profit um, on the cards from us and we made a fair enough profit and also moved enough bulk, i.e., you know, 35,000 or so vintage cards where it was well worth it for us. So I encourage you to find someone locally, whether it be a card shop owner, a dealer, a fellow collector who maybe is very much into selling on eBay or sorting or, you know, other avenues that maybe aren't up your um, alley, turn some stuff into cash and don't be burdened with that weight of those 35,000 cards holding you down. And with that is today's episode, Trading Card Therapy, episode number 20. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for joining me today. Any questions in the future, don't hesitate to DM me or reach out via email. Thanks so much.